Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. And I, I can't tell you how excited I am. So I want you to go back to when uh, my hair was dark. And um, I went to Bible school when I was about uh, 24 years old. I got saved at 17. It's a too long of a story, but um, I started to feel like I needed to get close to God. I didn't understand the call of God, so I went away to a school called Zion Bible Institute. And when I went there, it was only one year, but it was a very impressionable year. And we had chapel four times a week. And one of my favorite speakers uh, his name was Tiff Shuttlesworth, and he would come, and every time he spoke, I just felt like, and I, I, it's funny, I, got, I just prayed for him, but I felt like I got a fresh realization of the true kingdom of God. And so I have responded to his messages in tears on my knees, Chrissy as well, because Chrissy was at the school. He became a friend. We've known him literally since we uh, got married. And, um, and he went to the school himself. And today, the school's name has changed, but he is the president of North Point Bible College and Seminary. He is also the founder of Lost Lambs Association around 40 years, 45 years or so. He prayed a prayer in that Bible school that God would help him to lead a million people to Christ. And this ministry has led more than a million people to Christ. He is an evangelist by calling. And now um, uh, he is leading the school and we're so excited and we, we connected just recently. And he's here to bring uh, the word of God um, I could say so much more, but could you please give a warm Chicago Tabernacle welcome to President Tiff Shuttlesworth. Come on, let's, let's greet him. Now come on and put your hands together for Jesus Christ, who alone is worthy to be praised. Come on, Chicago, you can do better than that. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I am so incredibly grateful for, first of all, the incredible joy to reconnect uh, with your pastor and his wife. Uh, as he mentioned to you, uh, our friendship goes all the way back uh, to when they were dating. And uh, we met there at Zion Bible Institute back in those days. Uh, the college is very, very close to my heart for many reasons. Number one, my mom and dad met on the original campus in the fall of 1949. And both of my parents came from close to abject poverty and they met there on the campus. So I always say, I literally owe my biological existence to the vision of that Bible college. When your pastor and his wife attended there, the president of the school, his name was Dr. Ben Crandall. 
Uh, he was a spiritual father in my life. Uh, his wife, Jean Crandall, was actually my mother's first cousin. And so uh, there was a relation there. And he brought me on the board of trustees when I was in my early 30s. And I remember when he did asking him, because, you know, in your early 30s, it seemed like everybody on the board of trustees was 125 years or, or older. And uh, I remember asking him, Dr. Crandall, why in the world would you ask me to serve on the board of trustees? He said, well, obviously, it's not because of your age. He said, but I just know in my heart uh, that as long as your voice is on the board, that the vision of the school will be protected for another generation. I know you understand who we are and our DNA and our spiritual makeup. And uh, he used to have me to the campus every month to preach two chapels, as Pastor mentioned. Uh, that's where we begin to build our relationship. But uh, never, and when I say never, never did I ever see a day coming when they would entrust to me the office of the presidency of the institution. Um, my passion, my calling is I'm an evangelist. I'm a missionary. I've been involved in our Lost Lamb Crusades for over 45 years in over 60 nations of the world. And uh, I accepted the presidency with the understanding that uh, that is not going to change. I still am passionate about Lost Lamb Association and reaching unreached people. How many of you believe in the soon coming of the Lord? And the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John, each of us must carry out the tasks that are assigned to us, for night cometh when no man can work. Church, we have a limited opportunity to reach our family. We have a limited opportunity to reach our mom, our dad, our brothers, our sisters, our co-workers, our neighbors. And it's a limited opportunity, and we must never forget that reaching men and women and boys and girls with the gospel of Jesus Christ is paramount above all in the covenant of this sacred and holy and infallible book. There is, listen, there is no greater cause than winning the lost. And if you're listening today, whether you're sitting in this service in person or you're watching online, uh, some of you know that we've had a social media explosion in uh, Lost Lamb. We now have over a million students a month from over a hundred nations of the world who study the Bible with us on YouTube at least once a month. And it's incredible that I've lived long enough that there is now the opportunity uh, to hold a microphone and to preach to a local church but through the technology and through the cameras and through the worldwide internet, we have the ability literally to touch the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just a few weeks ago preached in a rural church. And when I say rural, uh, I needed an Indian, a compass, and a tour guide to find the church. It was out in the sticks. It wasn't a small church. They have a congregation of about 1,000 people. But uh, their YouTube and social media um, footprint was, was small. And it was right after Benjamin Netanyahu had declared war on Israel. I was preaching at that church on Sunday and obviously felt directed of the Lord to address Israel and Bible prophecy. But in three days, not on my YouTube channel, not on my social media uh, outlets, 
that little rural church had over a million views of that message in less than three days. It's now over two million views. We have an opportunity today that we need to take advantage of. And I pray that one of the things the Lord might help me to sow as a seed here at Chicago Tab is that God might help me to sow uh, the true essence of what the calling of the evangelist is. And even those that are not called into full-time missions or evangelism, even Paul told his protege in the ministry, Timothy, who was not an evangelist, he said, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Every born-again believer must do the work of an evangelist. We must reach lost people while there is yet time. And so if you're here today and you've never made a personal and public commitment to Christ, before I'm done, as I do in every service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make peace with God and to turn from sin and turn to Christ there's nothing more important to me today in, in my assignment here at Chicago Tab. Uh, I prayed for you last night. I prayed for you this morning. And part of my prayer was, Father, don't let one person walk into those services tomorrow that does not know Christ as their personal Savior and walk out the same. And I also pray the same power of God that saves is the same power of God that heals. Father, don't let one person who walks into those services sick or suffering walk out without the healing power of Jesus Christ making them totally well in Jesus' name. So I want to just say uh, humbly from my heart, it is a true honor uh, to be with you today. I used to be your neighbor. I actually uh, lived in Kenosha, Wisconsin, up the road, my father pastored there for many years, and uh, coming to Chicago was always uh, like a massive treat to cross the Wisconsin line and head down to Chicago. The first professional baseball game I ever uh, attended in my life, obviously, was Wrigley Field, and there was a family in the church that used to bring us down, and, uh, you know, if I feel sorry the rest of the world doesn't understand the concept of deep dish pizza, and... Uh, just so many wonderful things your city has historically. But how many of you know that when you peel back all of the, of the, the temporal essence of that, that Chicago is one of the greatest mission fields in our world today? This city has massive needs that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can overcome. Well, for sake of time, let's get right into the Word. If you have your Bibles today, open with me to uh, Psalm 73. By the way, North Point Bible College and Seminary, uh, we, if the Lord tarries, will be 100 years old. Uh, this October, we'll be celebrating our 100th anniversary. Uh, we are a fully accredited uh, Bible college. We are in the Fellowship of the Assemblies of God but we are uh, independently owned and operated by our board of trustees. We have had a 100-year track record of doing one thing. We are a ministry school. That is our focus, to raise up a holy army of Pentecostal young men and young women to fulfill the great commission under the coming of the Lord. And now because of the uh, wonderful advancement of technology, we're able to do that not only on campus, but uh, online as well. 
And so with God's help, we now have what's called dual enrollment. If you're in junior high school or senior high school, you can take a small course online that will prepare you for the possibilities of becoming a student of the Bible and following the calling of God and developing your ministry. Uh, one of the things that uh, I immediately jumped on is we now have a one-year Bible certificate. You may not be called to full-time ministry, but you want to be a part of being used by God from something as simple as being involved in children's ministry or Bible studies or discipleship groups, and you just want to have a one-year biblical certificate that f founds you in some of the wonderful concepts of what it means to be a student of the Scripture. We have a two-year associate's degree. We have our four-year BA program. We have a master's degree. We were just approved for our master's in divinity. If there's anything we can do to help you in becoming a lifelong student of the Word and uh, in any way you feel called to the capacity of ministry, uh, you can contact me personally. And you can also go to northpoint.edu, northpoint.edu. Pray for the school. We are the last Bible college and seminary accredited in North America that has that one single purpose to raise up apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I always say, at North Point, we train God's special forces. May God give Chicago a great harvest of ministers and soul winners. Psalm 73, if you have your Bible, uh, my media team at Lost Lamb, you can begin your edit right here. Today I want to speak to you on the subject of four things God does not know. And before you drag me out into the streets to stone me for heresy, I ask you to be patient. But I want to share with you from the scriptures, and if there's one thing that I am committed to, uh, is we start in the Bible, we stay in the Bible, and finish in the Bible. And I know that many of you that have analytical minds are probably already beginning to worry, thinking, how could it even be possible that there are four things that God doesn't know? And several of you that have an IQ above room temperature are beginning to think, if he's going to share four things God doesn't know, how could he know four things that God doesn't know? So before you get completely wrapped in your own analysis of what I'm talking about, let's get right into the scripture, and I promise you I'll back every one of these up from the Bible. Four things God does not know, and it came to me from a very curious question I read in the scriptures in Psalm 73 and verse 11 where the Bible said, what does God know, they ask. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Or out of the King James Version it reads, and they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we never open up the sacred scriptures without a deep awareness of how dependent we are upon you and upon the power of the Holy Spirit. I humble my heart not only in your holy presence, I humble my heart before this audience today 
and before the multiplied thousands in the days ahead that will view this on some social media platform, my prayer for all is that today would be their hour of decision. My prayer for all is that not one would miss eternity's morning. My prayer for all is that not only would they be saved and secure, but that every member of their family would be ready to meet the Lord and that you might use them as both a witness and a living example of what it means to turn from sin and turn to Christ. And so now I ask you by the Holy Spirit to do what no preacher can do, what no sermon can do. Come by the power of God and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. I command every chain of sin to be broken. I command every prison door to be swung wide. Let every captive be free now in the holy presence of the Most High to make the decisions that they need to make. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Uh, I will encourage you, uh, if I ever have the opportunity to speak to you again, I hope you'll remember this. I really like to see people, when they come into the house of God, where the word of God is going to be preached or taught, always bring a Bible to church, always bring a way of taking notes, and I always encourage our students, bring a highlighter. And I don't ask you to do what I don't do myself. I don't get a chance to go to my home church very often, as you might imagine, but uh, every Sunday when I'm home, my wife and I always go to church. And when I go to church, I have a Bible, I have a way of taking notes, and I have a highlighter. And let me tell you why that is more than a practical tip. Even people with high levels of intelligence only retain 20 to 25% of what they hear, but your pencil or your pen or your digital tablet has a 100% retention rate. And because the Bible is so powerful, if you want to separate yourself from the pack in the eyes of God, God promotes people who take his word seriously. Learn to love the Bible, learn to live the Bible and be sure that the power of God has a place in your heart above all else. Can I hear a good Chicago amen? amen? Four things God doesn't know if you're taking notes. Number one, God doesn't know of a sin that he does not hate. Now, I promise you this is not going to be a legalistic attack, and I'm not here to judge you. And if you're the worst sinner in Chicago, I'm not your enemy and I'm not your judge. I'm your best friend. But my father always raised the four boys. He used to tell us, if you really love somebody, tell them the truth. If you really love somebody, tell them the truth. And in this day and age of politically correct, 
soft preachers in pulpits who are more concerned about the response of the audience than the integrity of the book they hold in their hand. I'm one of those old school preachers that believes in looking you in the eyes and telling you the truth. And in this day and age in which everything is acceptable and the grace of God has been turned into a message as a license for sin, we need to be reminded in America that God still hates sin. He hates sin as much now as he ever has hated sin. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 2 verses 4 through 9, don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. And he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath upon those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. Listen to verse 9. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Let me read verse 9 again. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. God hates sin because sin brings trouble and sin brings calamity and sin destroys and sin perverts and sin distorts the image of God. You were not created for a life of sin. You were created for the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus the Lord. You were not created for defeat. You were created for victory. You were not created for failure. You were created for success. You were created to walk on this world as the sons and the daughters of God and to live high and to live holy. But sin destroys the very essence of what God wants you to be. The Bible said in Proverbs 13 and 18, the way of the transgressor is hard. I'm not going to ask you to testify or raise hands, but most of you understand the very point of what I'm trying to make because you had a hard life. Some of you, the power and the curse of sin had almost completely destroyed your reason to live. Some of you that are listening to me, sin had such a hold on your life that you used to plan out how you were going to end your life. And you were wondering, how can I commit suicide? How can I stop this hurt? How can I stop this pain? How can I stop this abuse? Sin never does well by those who embrace it. With that said, 
Many preachers have lied in preaching on sin as if there's no pleasure in sin. But the truth is, and the Bible tells us in Hebrews, I believe it's the 11th chapter and the 25th verse, that there's pleasure in sin. So I want to be honest enough to tell you I get it. I know why many people fall into the embrace of sin. I know why many people are seduced by sin. I know why many people are trapped by that incredible magnetism in sin. Because there is pleasure in sin, and the Bible tells us so. I oftentimes say when I grew up in Pentecost, my mom and dad were wonderful, wonderful saints of God. My father passed away about nine years ago. My 91-year-old mother passed away just a few weeks ago. And at my mother's funeral, I said to the audience, if my mother ever sinned, I never saw it. I never saw my mother sin. I never saw my mother speak ill. I never saw my mother carnal. I never saw my mother say something off color. My mother was a woman of prayer. And if there's one thing that my mother instilled in us four boys is that holiness is a non-negotiable in your relationship with God. You must contend for the righteousness of God that he purchased for you. And I think in the modern church, we have forgotten that holiness is not a pharisaical message. Holiness is not a message that is antiquated. Holiness is as important now as it ever has been. Holiness is the key to promotion. Holiness is the key to prosperity. Psalm 84:11, no good thing will I withhold from them who walk uprightly. And if America is going to have a spiritual awakening, and if America is going to have a revival, whether it be nationally or regionally, the message of holiness needs to be brought out of the shelves of our local churches and the dust knocked off of it. And we need to preach it with fire and fervency. We still serve a holy God and he said be ye holy for I am holy the devil will never seduce you with something you don't like he'll always seduce you with exactly what you want or what you think you want sin always comes in its infancy in incredible pleasure it will appear to be exactly what you need to fill the emptiness and the void within. And when you embrace the pleasure of sin, and there will be pleasure, there will be enjoyment. But the enemy waits just long enough until he gets that hook and then he sets it in your jaw. And the pleasure of sin has a lifespan. I said the pleasure of sin, according to the Bible, has a lifespan. It begins in pleasure. But James 1.15 says sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. The seduction is only to put a hook in your jaw to bring you to death. And the pleasure of sin can quickly turn to the pain of sin. And the pain of sin in its maturity will eventually turn into the penalty of sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. 
So you might think you're enjoying the first lap of sin with incredible pleasure and fulfillment. And let's just be honest, there are many sinners who are having more fun in their sin than Christians are in their salvation. How many of you ever met Christians that feel like it's spiritual to be sad and upset? Bless God, I'm serving the Lord and I'm hanging on and waiting for the day when, you know, Christians that were weaned on dill pickles, <laughs> sour, puckered, got their lip rolled out so far you could roll a biscuit on it. And some Christians, you'd watch their life, you'd think it's spiritual to be depressed and discouraged and no life and no joy. No, the Bible said, I came that your joy might be full. Don't be one of those Christians who interacts with sinners that are right in the very chapter of the pleasure of sin and your life is so sour, they're committed to stay in their sin before they'd ever want the Christ that you carry. Can I hear a good amen? amen? That's why we take the offering first in Chicago. <laughs> Number two, God doesn't know of a sinner that he doesn't love. God hates sin, but he doesn't hate you. Theologically and biblically, sin and the sinner are two separate entities. Some of you have had a family member die of a terminal disease. For illustration, let's just say some of you may have a family member that died of cancer. And I can guarantee you that if you've had a family member that's died of cancer, at some point in the process, you learn to absolutely hate cancer. The word itself is painful to you. The word itself brings haunting pictures of a body that no longer was the body you used to know of a loved one. And before it was all said and done, you had this deep hatred for cancer. But though you had a hatred for cancer, it never had anything to do with hating your loved one that was dying of cancer. As a matter of fact, that sickness probably strengthens your relationship with that loved one. You begin to value your time with them. You begin to realize that I may have a very limited amount of time on this earth left with my mother or my dad or my brother or my sister. And though you learn to hate cancer, it deepened your love and your relationship and your value for the loved one that was carrying it. So it is theologically and biblically with God. God hates your sin, but he does not hate you. The Bible tells me that Jesus was the friend of sinners. The Bible tells me that he wept over sinners. The woman caught in the very act of adultery, they were getting ready to carry out the letter of the law and stone her. But Jesus rescued her and said, those that are without sin, cast the first stone. And after Jesus, through the power and the might of who he was as the living son of God, dispelled that crowd, he turned to that woman and said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin 
no more. Jesus showed compassion for the woman while still holding the condemnation of sin. He said, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. When you give your heart to Jesus Christ, you should not go back to your life of sin. Jesus Christ is not a ticket to live like hell Monday through Saturday and to come to church on Sunday as if you are a child of God, only living for him part-time on the weekend. When Jesus saves you, he breaks the curse of sin. He breaks the bondage of sin. He makes you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away. All things become new. You need to hear the words of Paul. He said, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. Paul said any teaching or preaching on grace that makes you feel comfortable with your sin and your bad habits and your addictions and your carnality, Paul taught us any teaching on grace that makes you feel comfortable with sin is heresy. But you can listen to a lot of notable major ministries and voices in the world today that basically teach that grace by God is a total ticket and there is nothing you can do to lose your salvation. Listen, even in the debate in the theological circles, Err on the side of holiness. Where there is debate in the evangelical world, I'm going to tell you what I told my kids as I raised my kids. Even where there's a question mark in your heart, as you're figuring it all out, always err on the side of holiness. Never err on the side of sin. Can I hear a good amen? amen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Number one, God hates sin and he doesn't know of a sin that he does not hate. Number two, God does not know of a sinner that he doesn't love. Here's the good news. Many people hesitate to come to Christ, and I'm going to give an invitation in just a few minutes. And I'm going to challenge you to meet me at the altar, personally and publicly. I don't do camouflage prayers for conversion because camouflage prayers produce camouflage Christians. And in a day and an age in which everything under the sun in and out of hell has come out of the closet, I'm a little sick and tired about Christians hiding in the closet. Come out and stand up for Jesus in this world while there is yet time. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I don't do that as a technique. That's not my way of giving an altar call. Everybody Jesus called in the New Testament, he called them out personally and publicly. Every apostolic sermon in the Bible, they were called out personally 
and publicly. Jesus actually said, as recorded in Luke chapter 12, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. But if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before the Father. One modern translation said, if you confess me publicly, before men, I will confess you openly before my Father which is in heaven. Can I make this abundantly street savvy clear? What you do with Jesus on this earth determines what Jesus does with you in eternity's morning. If you receive Jesus publicly here, he'll receive you in heaven publicly there. If you can't kneel for Jesus in a church, you'll never stand for Jesus in the world. Because to come to this altar in just a moment and to pray with me takes faith and it takes courage and it takes humility. But it takes faith and courage and humility to live a Christian life. Anybody can follow the crowd. Anybody can follow the activities of your closest friends and peers. But it takes a real man with square shoulders and a backbone and a real woman with integrity to stand up and say, my life, my future, my destiny, my family, my children are not going to be carried by the sway and the current of an ungodly world. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Isn't it time somebody in your family broke the curse of sin? Isn't it time somebody in your family broke the curse of alcoholism? Isn't it time somebody in your family broke drug addiction? Isn't it time somebody in your family broke sexual abuse? Isn't it time somebody in your family said, I'm going to live for Jesus? Hey, hallelujah. Pardon me, I've been known to be Pentecostal. In Mark 2, the Bible said in verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Number one, God doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. Number two, he doesn't know a sinner he doesn't love. Number three, he doesn't know of a salvation other than Jesus. There is no way to get right with God except through Jesus Christ, his only son. The world hates this. The world hates this. I've been on debate shows and I've seen talking heads and they absolutely, the veins come out on their forehead and their neck with the accusation. How can you as a Christian with all of the religions and the philosophies that are in our world today, how can you possess the arrogance to say the only way to God is through your Jesus? How intolerant. Think for a minute. Every major religion in the world claims exclusivity. 
but they just point the finger at the church. They point the finger at Jesus and they point the finger at Christians. Every major religion in the world claims exclusivity. Islam, Judaism, Hinduism. Go down through every major religion in the world and study their sacred writings. They all claim exclusivity. But let me just bypass that for a moment and teach you something I pray you'll never forget. Truth by the nature of truth is exclusive. One plus one always equals two. Not because you're intolerant, not because you're not open-minded, not because you don't have a compassion for people who failed math, but truth by its very nature is always exclusive. And furthermore, as an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are not God's defense attorney. Nowhere in the Bible did God give somebody the calling of defense attorney. You are called to unapologetically and compassionately speak the truth. I as an evangelist and as a missionary, I have no right to take the Bible and to try to soften its edges. I have no right to take the holiness of God and the righteousness of his covenant and try to make it more relevant for the Western church. I have a responsibility as an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ, like my hero Billy Graham, to just stand up and say, and the Bible says, and the Bible says, and the Bible said, I'm never going to apologize for what the Bible said. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. And Hebrews tells us that all of these glorious truths were types and shadows and examples hidden in the Old Testament that would be revealed through the New Testament covenant. A classic example of that would even be Noah and the ark. The ark is a type of the cross made of wood. It's a type of the cross and salvation because only those who entered the ark could be saved from coming wrath and judgment. Why was God so insistent, unmovable with Noah in the engineering plans? Noah. One door and one door only because there's only one way into rescue. There's only one way to escape coming wrath. There is only one way to bypass coming judgment. And when Jesus on this earth in walking flesh and ministry is God's sinless, spotless Lamb of God, Jesus unapologetically said, I am the door. There is only one way to get right with God. There is only one door that leads from where you're at to where God wants you to be, and that is to come to Jesus Christ in childlike faith and believe the words in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved 
I mean, if you were drowning in the ocean, if you had gone out one weekend on Lake Michigan with friends on a boat and that boat sank, first of all, I've, I've swam in the waters of Lake Michigan once. And as a teenager made up my mind, I don't want to have that amount of fun ever again. You've probably got less than 10 or 15 minutes in the cold waters of Lake Michigan to survive. And as you're thrashing in the water and screaming for help and the Coast Guard shows up and the helicopter lowers near the water and they lower you a rope, how much sense would it be for you to scream up, I am so insulted that you would only offer me one choice. I am so disturbed at how intolerant the Coast Guard is to only offer me one way. Do you have any other colors of rope? Do you have some blue rope? Maybe something with pink polka dots. Give me some options here. No, the moment that rope hit the water and you reached out and took it, wrapped it around your waist and secured it and they lifted you to safety and put a warm blanket on you, there would never be one discussion that there had been only one way for your salvation because you only need one way. You only need one way. And when you're lost in the curse of sin, when you're lost in a lifestyle that you don't know how to get out of, when the pleasure of your sin has turned to pain and now the penalty is beginning to unfold page by page and chapter by chapter, I came to tell you something that even a child can understand. No matter where you're at in the sea of your sin, there is one rescue that has worked for over 2,000 years. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah.